Every yeah. car is built, you know, deliberately with a crumple zone. And the better cars have the better crumple zone. And they dissipate that force and keep the passenger or the brain safe inside the cab of the car or the skull. So the neck is our crumple zone. It's, it's, it's the device that can protect the, the brain inside the skull. This is Robert Sherman, co-owner of Iron Neck. And this is Mike Jolly, founder and the inventor of the Iron Neck. And you are listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring you Mike Jolly and Robert Sherman uh, from Iron Neck, which is a company that is really on the cutting edge of improving health and safety in sports today by strengthening the neck, which is something that I know when I was uh, in high school, it wasn't something that was really you know prioritized in the strength and conditioning program that we followed. Uh, so I'm excited to learn some knowledge and how well, you know the role, the next role in uh, concussions and preventing concussions more importantly. And if you're if you saw the title of this podcast and you thought that this is going to be like an hour long commercial, you're 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 completely wrong. And I uh, did my research on these guys and the the passion behind the work that they do is incredible. So I'm excited to to start it off. So can you guys uh, start off by talking about like what kind of inspired you to create? Uh, the first iron neck and uh, just gives them background on the company itself. Yeah, I'll take that, that question. Um, I played football at UCLA. And this is Mike. Yeah, this is Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is Mike Charlie. I played football at UCLA. And, you know, you become pretty close friends with the guys you play with, obviously. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears left on the field. Two of the guys I played with, uh, Mark Tuane and, and Louis Sharp, have lost the CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Back in 2011, 2012, when this was coming uh, apparent that this was happening to them, I started doing some research and I wanted to figure out, you know, number one, what's CTE? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a degenerative brain disease. And number two, what causes it? And is there a way to prevent the cause? Well, as I dug into it and researched more, it became apparent that uh, concussions are the cause of CTE. So how do you prevent concussions? And I sat down with Dr. Robert Cantu and talked to him about this. And he's on the TBI board in, in the NFL and and he works with the, the players union also. And he was pretty convinced that concussions uh, were the cause of CTE. And if we could prevent concussions, we could, we could pre help prevent CTE. And I said, okay. So then I went out and tried to figure out the best way to prevent concussions. And I came up with the iron neck and it's all about neck strengthening and creating a, you know, a big, thick uh, shock absorber, your neck, which can dissipate the force of a blow to the head and dissipate it down into your body, tr hopefully trying to protect your brain. Okay. Uh, Robert, you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, it's, uh, you know, really what, what Mike kind of identified was, uh, you know, what's the, the, the source of, of this problem? And, you know, there's a lot of research out uh, that's come over the last few years that's uh, brought more focus on, on the rotational aspects of, uh, of, of impacts to, to the brain. And so, 
you know, really Mike saw this connection between uh, these rotational forces on the brain. And when you look at the neck and how it moves, uh, you know, th these muscles are diagonal. And so uh, they rotate as, as you're moving your head around. And uh, really what, what the iron neck does is it allows you to, to train the neck the way that it naturally moves. And so being able to really build up uh, that strength through rotation, uh, it, you know, we've, we've really seen some pretty incredible things uh, from the different people that are using it now. One of the things you've got to realize, especially if we've got strength coaches that are listening to the, uh, the podcast, is that doing linear neck movements, working out in a linear way, is like doing half a bicep curl. You're only getting half of the neck muscle to contract. Those neck muscles, as Rob mentioned, are diagonal fiber direction muscles, sternocleidomastoid, the splenius capitis, the splenius cervicis. And when they contract, when you want to contract them fully, it causes head rotation. And if you don't put head rotation into the neck workout, you're not getting full contractions. And you have to put the head and the neck under load, under tension in the gym, in every possible position. It can be out on a football field, in a ring, on a mat, so that when you are impacted, your neck has been in that position and it can deal with that force and dissipate it properly. Yeah, and a lot of athletic trainers listen to this podcast. I'm not sure about how many strength coaches, but there, there could be a, a few, but still applicable to, to either realm. Uh, but Mike, when you said that your friends, you lost two of your friends to CTE, I guess like what does that mean and like what kind of signs and symptoms did they kind of show uh, – with with the CTE, do you, without naming names or anything. Well, I'll name names because I've talked about them before. Mark Tuane played at UCLA with me. We are on the same recruiting class, defensive lineman. Went to the Dallas Cowboys, switched to offense, 16 years, three Super Bowl. Brings later, big family, great connection to the city, well-loved in Dallas. Uh, he retired, and six months later, he was dead. And they dissected his brain, and he had CTE. So... Uh, he was showing the symptoms that he was showing are the same symptoms that Lewis Sharp, an offensive tackle that played right tackle, I played right guard that played right next to me, um, was showing. And that is severe depression and very angry, very prone to violence, um, mood swings that are just, just crazy mood swings. And those are the symptoms, uh, you know, of CT, of this terrible degenerative brain disease. And those are the symptoms that, the symptoms that Mark was showing, and those are the symptoms that Lewis showed. Both of them turned to drugs to try to deal with these symptoms. I mean, Mark OD'd in his driveway with all his family and all his kids at home. He could not stand to live in his brain anymore, just like Junior Seau, who shot himself in the chest twice so that his brain would remain intact so that it could be dissected and looked at. And, and to see if it had CTE. So Lewis, I've not lost him. He hasn't died, but he is in the state penitentiary. He used to be 6'7", 320 pounds. Greatest guy you would ever want to meet. Now he stands about 5'7". He's about 160 pounds. He turned to drugs, crack cocaine, to try to get this, uh, this crazy thing out of his mind. And, you know, lost everything. Lost his family lost the wealth that he built up after a 16-year career with the, with the Arizona Cardinals. So, you know, those are the things that we see with CTE. I mean, there, there's stories of some of the greatest football players that have ever played that have ended up, you know, in the gutter. And, 
you know, the, the city takes care of them because they're so well loved and they die. They die, you know, on a bench in a park one day. But they've moved themselves out of their own house, out of their own family, because they did not want to injure, you know, their family members. So that's the symptoms that, that my friends showed and still show. And those are the symptoms that usually people with CTE exhibit. Yeah, I've interviewed a bunch of former NFL guys. And one, one in particular that comes to mind is uh, Kyle Turley. And something he's something that he struggled with, you know, after his career was all the, the head impacts that he took. And uh, he credits, you know, cannabis for saving his life. So that's just an interesting side piece. But just like you said, like it's, it's more common than, than we think. Um, so, uh, Mike, before we get too far away from, you know, your own athletic career, did you suffer any concussions throughout your career? Like what kind of, what was your kind of your injury history? Well, I got one concussion that I know of, a full-on concussion that I was knocked out. I was, you know, freshman at UCLA, defensive lineman. I tried to t uh, tackle Freeman McNeil, who went on to play for the Jets and had a pretty good career in the NFL. But he had 34-inch thighs, and he was a great, great running back, almost got the Heisman Trophy. And I stuck my head into his legs, which was not the smartest thing to do. But um, that's what I did, and I woke up on the field a couple minutes later with smelling salts. They asked me where I was, and I said, I'm at football practice. And they said, great, get back in the game. And so I was right back in practice the next play. So that's the only concussion I had. Other injury-wise, I was pretty much injury-free my whole uh, my whole career, until the very last game of my career in a, blue, in a bowl game against Michigan. Did a little knee damage, but nothing, nothing, nothing much. But the other thing is that we don't know is how many sub-concussive blows that I got. Um, Dr. Robert Cantu has stated that in one 80-yard drive in the NFL, an offensive lineman can have up to 18 sub-concussive blows. Now, these are a much more nefarious kind of a concussion than a full-on concussion because you don't know that you have gotten them. There's no protocol after you get a subconcussive blow where you're sat down and you're taken out of the game and your brain is protected. If you're knocked out, you're going to get taken care of. You're not getting back again into the game until your brain has reached baseline again. So these subconcussive blows are what are, real, are really dangerous. And how many of those I had, I don't know. Luckily, I had a big neck. I also wrestled at UCLA. And hopefully my, my big neck was dissipating those, those blows and I wasn't getting too many subconcussive blows. All right. So, I mean, considering you were a dual sport athlete at uh, UCLA and they're two contact sports, to be pretty much injury free besides the fact of the concussion that you mentioned, the knee injury, you know, what was your approach to try to stay healthy or was it just luck? No, I mean, I worked hard. I, um, I worked hard. I think being a wrestler definitely helps you with your agility and your coordination. And I think being a wrestler probably helped me stay pretty much injury-free on the football field. Just because, you know, I would stay a little bit lower than everyone else, have a little better uh, leverage than anyone else, and I could keep myself out of, out of harm's way. I guess that's what I'd credit it to. That's interesting because you're not the first person that I've heard say that about wrestling. Ah, interesting. So, you know, I know there's no, like, silver bullet for – concussions and like fixing the problem as a whole so where does the iron neck kind of fit into 
concussion management, like what's your recommendations uh, for using the iron uh, neck in a, in a concussion management, you know, protocol, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there's a whole suite of, of solutions that really, um, you know, are essential in this, this approach to concussion management. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, attention on, on helmets uh, nowadays and improving that technology. And, you know, I think uh, you'll start to see some improvements in those things, but ultimately, I mean, if you step back and just look at, at concussions as a problem in sports, not just football, um, you know, helmets aren't going to be the answer for the majority of these sports. So, uh, you know, there's there's things that you can do on the, the prevention side and there's things that you can do, you know, in game. You've seen rules changes, uh, you know, just be more aware. And then there's there's also been a lot of attention on what, you know, what can be done after. So being able to properly catch when a concussion has happened and diagnose it um, and then, you know, have the correct return to play protocols in place so that, you know, not just in the uh, on the field, but in the classroom where you're actually delivering, uh, you know, these individuals back to health. So uh, there, there's just a lot of things across the whole spectrum. And, you know, ultimately what you see is that you're you're as weak as your weakest link. And so, you know, you could have the strongest neck in the world, but if you're not teaching your kids how to how to tackle properly, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter there. You're going to result or have some of these concussions. So um, it's more the philosophy, I think. And this is what's, what we've seen talking to strength and conditioning coaches and, and trainers across the country is that, you know, when you have these different stakeholders involved, uh, coaches, athletic directors, strength coaches, trainers, medical staff, uh, when everyone's able to contribute there. Uh, you know, you're able to kind of address all of these different pillars uh, from the prevention side to to the you, know, you can call it the rehab side. And so, you know, I think the the schools and, and, and programs that have the most success are the ones that, you know, have all these stakeholders at the table and they're able to really address all the problems that uh, that can arise. And so, you know, next strength is really just just one of those those pieces. And we've seen it's 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 been one that is. Uh, you know, outside of wrestling and, you know, there, there are a lot of football programs that are doing it. It's, it's just really not something that is, is widespread, uh, at scale. So, you know, there's definitely an opportunity to improve, uh, in the next strength department. So that's what we think, uh, what we believe the Iron Act can be doing. One of the things I, I wanted to add to that is, you know, it is so important to increase the neck to help try to, you know, prevent concussions, reduce the, the chance and the risk of being concussed. And one of the reasons is that 85% of all concussions happen from rotary acceleration to the brain. And, you know, the only thing that's going to stop us from, from, you know, stopping rotary acceleration to the brain is a strong neck. It's not the headgear. Uh, on a, on a somewhat a weak neck, the headgear could, you know, ca causes a bobblehead effect. And just causes a kid to have more weight that they have to try to control. Everyone needs to remember that many, many concussions happen without a hit to the head. It's all about the snapping of the head and neck. It gets that brain flying from one side to the other. I mean, body blows, um, you know, cause a lot of concussions. And it, there's no impact to the head at all. So obviously, in a situation like that. A helmet cannot help. Neck strength is the only thing that can 
you know, slow that whipping down and try to dissipate that, that force before you reach the end of a range of motion and your head snaps. If we can prevent the snapping, we have a better chance at reducing concussion risk. And that reminds me of the Luke Keekley's recent uh, concussion because it wasn't a blow to the head at all. It kind of like he fell to the ground and his head was like, he did that little whiplash effect like you were just talking about. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't have a strong neck. He's a big, you know, NFL linebacker, but who knows what he's doing for ne- neck strengthening and stuff like that. So that's the, yeah, you're, you're 100% right on that one. Uh, who who does uh, concussion management right in your opinion? Like who's on the forefront of doing things to prevent and also treat uh, in who you've come across since starting Iron Neck? Well, I think probably the strength co- one of the strength programs and strength coaches that really really does a good job would be Joey over at, at Clemson. I mean, they have a pretty good neck protocol they do a lot of neck exercises they do use the iron neck also but they have got some pretty amazing stats in that the season that they lost the national championship to alabama not one player on their team missed a game during the season due to a concussion now think about the high level that they play in in their league and they were in the playoffs, and they played in the championship game. He has a great coaching staff over there, and wow, they do a good job, you know, strengthening the neck. And they do other stuff too, uh, not just neck strength, but they have a, a whole regimen over there trying to help uh, protect their athletes from being concussed. All right, that's a good good people to look out for then, uh, the Clemson football team. Uh, so who's who, like who is this? built for like who was in mind for for building this was it just football players and contact sport athletes or you know where where do the female athletes kind of come involved uh with the iron neck and how how can they benefit from it yeah so you know looking at at neck strength and and looking at you know females versus males uh you know there's a a clear anatomical difference here um you know female necks are are longer and and thinner and uh you know generally weaker uh, than the necks on on uh, you know men, and so you just have this more susceptible neck to these types of of whiplash forces, uh, and so you know there there's been a lot more that's been uh, revealed over research over the last few years on you know actually the the time to recover uh, for females uh, who've been concussed, and so it's you know generally a longer uh, more challenging road there, and so you know looking at at female sports. Uh, Neck strength is really not something that is is really commonly done, uh, and, and certainly not you know beyond a couple of years ago. And you know I think there's probably some stigma there of well I don't want to you know have my neck look like Takeo spikes and, and just be massive. But uh, it's just another point of of understanding that uh, you know females don't produce the same levels of testosterone to really you know blow your neck up. And so um, neck strength it's it's valuable for really every possible athlete, uh, anyone who's uh, playing any contact sport. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all connected as well. And so when you're, when you're training your neck, uh, you know, some of these other modalities, uh, you're generally in a seated or, or laying down position. But with the iron neck, you're, you're doing this on your feet. And so you're engaging the whole kinetic chain. So you're really be able to train yourself through 
the movements that you're actually moving or making on the field. And so, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, there's a few core programs you do with the Iron Neck, but what you can do specific to each sport, uh, you know, that's something that we continue to see being developed by, you know, new athletes and new sports that are starting to use it. Yeah. And that's kind of what you see in like all of strength and conditioning. It's kind of ever evolving. So it's, it's, it, I guess, shouldn't be surprising that it's evolving uh, with the Iron Neck as well. Um, so can you kind of take us through like what the evolution of neck strengthening has looked like uh, leading up to the development of the Iron Neck and then talk about, you know, how it's implemented, like what kind of programs like you just mentioned uh, before, like how can people use the the Iron Neck today? Yeah, um, you know, it's it started back in, a, and I'm 50, I'll be 58 this month. So <clears throat> I'm sort of in that evolutionary period almost the entire time. But, you know, back in the day, it was hands-on training. And it was actually pretty decent hands-on training. Luckily, I, you know, I, like I mentioned, I wrestled. So wrestlers do all sorts of crazy neck exercises. And, you know, from bridging to bridging with people sitting on your stomach to, you know, all sorts of stuff that, you know, you can look up on the internet and one of the presentations I do on concussion prevention, uh, I've done it at the NFL Combine a couple times. I have a tape of the Bulgarian wrestling team working their necks out. And the stuff that you they do is crazy. But, you know, it has evolved from that. The, the key is how can we strengthen the anatomy of the neck without damaging the neck? That's the key. And bridging on a wrestling mat is not a great way to not damage the anatomy of, a ne of the neck. I mean, we sponsor the United States wrestling team up in Boulder, Colorado. They love the iron neck because they, the coaches up there realize that they don't have to bridge anymore and do this crazy stuff. They can strengthen the neck without damaging, you know, the spine. So it's super important. So hands, it, was, it started hands-on, and then people invented a, a harness that you could strap, a, you know, a leather harness you could put on your head with a chain and you could attach weights to it and you would bend over and you could, you know, all you could do is extensions. And then, you know, that some people would try to turn the harness around and lay on their back on a bench and they could try to do flexions. And, you know, it wasn't anything, you know, great. And it was certainly putting a lot of sheer force on the neck that we did not want to put on the neck. And then, you know, it evolved into these, these neck machines where you'd sit down and you'd have a pad and you'd, you know, push your face up into the pad and you'd smash your face against the pad and move the pad down. And then you'd turn and move, you know, smash it up against an ear and, and do, a, do a linear movement to the side and then to the back. And, you know, that was good. It was, it was a way that, they, that, that the coaches could measure, you know, how much stronger the kids were getting. It was a consistent way to work out the neck. But the problem was that it wasn't increasing range of motion and it wasn't increasing the flexibility of the neck. And physical therapists especially will understand how important that is. And we and the one thing that the iron neck does that no other neck training device does is it increases flexibility and increases range of motion. And so, you know, you, you have the four-way neck machines and then they came out with a six-way neck machine that would introduce a shrug into the neck workout. But, you know, traps aren't really a neck muscle. So that was sort of that was sort of misleading. And then I invented the Iron Neck and I went to the CSCCA, the College Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association conference that first year way back in 2012. 
And I had my booth and I had my iron neck and my wife was there and we were we were so proud of this product. And people looked at us like we were nuts. What are you guys doing? What are you wearing on your head? But one of the founders of the CSCCA, Doc Kreese, who was a strength coach at UCLA, and I met when I was uh, actually coaching football there during the summers, he was at the convention and he was looking for one of these old neck harnesses. And one of his buddies told him, hey, there's this guy over here with this neck machine. You got to check it out. Well, he comes around the corner and he sees me and he's like, jolly man, what are you doing? And, you know, in his <laughs> mind right there, it just evolved from, from a, a harness to this, this crazy thing you wore on your neck. And it really worked. And he became a big advocate right there of the iron neck because of strength, range of motion, and flexibility. And the reasons those are important. So let, let me just take you through an episode that could happen on a football field so you understand why range of motion, flexibility, and strength are important. And it's it's important to work those all out at the same time. So if you're a running back and you get a handoff and you break through the offensive line, you get into that into the linebacker territory, and the linebacker comes from the side, helmet to helmet hit, smashes into your helmet, perfectly legal hit, but it rotates your head and it starts to drive your head across your body. Well, the first thing that happens when he hits you helmet to helmet, is your brain inside of your skull is going to move to the side of the skull that got impacted. You're not concussed yet, but the brain has moved over there in the synovial fluid and it's right there. Then that blow is going to keep taking your head in the direction of the blow across your body. And your head's going to fly from one shoulder to the other shoulder. Now, if I have good range of motion, I have a, lo a longer period of time to react to that blow and slow the blow down with the neck muscle strength that I have. If I have good flexibility, I have a longer period of time to, you know, to react to the blow and slow that blow down. So as I get hit, my neck muscles react. I have this long range of motion that I've developed. I can slow the, the impact down and I slow it down and I slow it down enough that my head doesn't snap. If you don't have a, a large range of motion, if you don't have good flexibility, you have a very short period of time to break that force from that hit, and your head's going to snap. And if it snaps, your brain flies off the side of the skull that it's on, flies across the inside of your, of your skull, smashes up against the other side, and then starts rattling back and forth. And that's the thing the neurosurgeons can't stand and they're trying to help prevent. Brain rattle. We want to stop brain rattle. So the good thing, getting back to your question on evolution, so the neck strengthening device, the iron neck, evolved into a device that strengthens the neck by using full ranges of motion because it works on all the diagonal planes that you can possibly use, plus it increases the flexibility and it increases range of motion. And that is... You know, that's the evolution in my mind from the basic hands-on, inconsistent workouts to something that's very consistent, but also adds flexibility and range of motion to strength. Yeah. And I mean, these are all amazing things. And one thing that I thought of before you, you gave that explanation was how it kind of like you talked about the evolution in these like four-way and six-way neck machines. And like how bulky and like how much room do those take up? And anyone who's been in a weight room before knows like space is like a very valuable thing. 
uh, and they're not even that effective. I went, I worked at Rutgers football and I used to work out in their weight room and they had like, like three or four of those neck machines. They took up like so much space for, for what really. Um, and the other thing that I thought of uh, when you were talking about having more distance to like dissipate the impact um, I recently did an interview with a professional race car driver named Henrique Cisneros, and he talked about how, you know, some race courses or racetracks, you know, have barrier walls that are lined with tires that are supposed to dissipate the impact. And some have six, you know, layers of tires and all others have not as many, but that's kind of what reminded me of like the importance of having uh, the mobility and range of motion in your neck is to kind of give yourself that six tire barrier as opposed to the three tire barrier or whatever it is. So I'm just trying to relate it to, to yeah, the. You're absolutely right on the money, right on the money. And who knows more about force dissipation than anyone else in the world? The car industry. Every yeah. car is built, you know, deliberately with a crumple zone. And the better cars have the better crumple zone. And they dissipate that force and keep the passenger or the brain safe inside the cab of the car or the skull. So the neck is our crumple zone. It's, it's, it's the device that can protect the, the brain inside the skull. And to go back to your other point, which I, I think is very important, uh, when you talked about the footprint in the gym, you know, it's, it's amazing to me, especially in the NFL and pro teams, how, how much smaller an area they usually have to work out. Number one is it's fewer people that they have to train. But, you know, footprint is always a, a, is an important thing. And if you have a bunch of gigantic four-way necks, it takes up a lot of your gym that you might want to use some other way. Our neck has no footprint. Most pe people use it, like Clemson does, with a cinch anchor, a bungee cord attached to a squat rack, an extra horn and hangs up above, you pop the thing off, put it on, stretch that uh, bungee cord out, and you start working out. The other thing is a time. You can work it into your workout routine so that it doesn't increase the length of time. I was at UCLA today and really grateful that my, my old school saw the light and they're buying iron necks now. But I, you know, I was talking to them about how they could work in with their program. So they squat and they spot, and then they have a guy standing around resting. No more does he, is he going to stand around and rest. They, they'll have the iron neck hanging on the squat rack, and the guy will put it on, and he'll do one of the exercises. And then he'll hand it off to the next guy. This does not increase the length of time. And the NCAA now mandates how, long, mandates how long you can be in the gym. The Players Association in the NFL mandates how long they have to spend in the gym. Strength coaches are giving short periods of time. So you got a footprint and you've got the, and the and shortening of the time. And then, of course, cost. Four-way necks are very expensive. Iron necks, you can buy, I don't know, five to six iron necks for the price of one four-way neck. So, you know, those are some of the, the things that we thought about when we were developing the product that we, we wanted to solve those problems also. Yeah, that, that's really cool. And uh Maybe Robert uh, could chime in, and I, I just since this is a podcast, I want to like really paint the picture of like what the device looks like. Like obviously in the show notes, I'll have uh, videos and everything so people can see see it there. But just from someone listening now, like just paint the picture of like what what this this device is. Well, I I think the easiest way to envision this is if you're you're a Mortal Kombat fan, 
uh, people have said you look like Raiden with it on. So <laughs> it's you know it's it's a big disc that that goes around your your head, and uh, we we've developed a, a one size fits all model where there's a a, a bladder or a, that you pump up and it inflates a pad in the back uh, of your head. So you've got pads in the back and the front of your head inside this disc that you put on. And uh, on the outside of this uh, is there's a, a little truck that that glides around the outside and that clips into the resistance source. So you can clip that into any cable weight stack that you'd have in a gym. Uh, you know, most teams are connecting it to their squat racks using a, a resistance band. And so you know you can just hang it right there. And then when you step back, so this thing is now secured to your head. Uh, you know, say you're stepping back out to you have 10 pounds of resistance that's pulling you at your from your forehead essentially. Uh, and now because this glides on the outside, you can turn your head left, you can turn your head right, you can do diagonal movements, uh, and then you know you can turn your whole body to the left now, for example. And now it's pulling you kind of at your right ear, so it's pulling you sideways, and so. You have to. Uh, there's a lot of uh, stabilization that that you need to achieve to just maintain that posture. But you can keep moving your head along different planes, and uh, you know the way that we describe it is that you're able to you're put your head and neck in every possible position that you can be on the field. And so you know that's that's really uh, you know what this looks like, and uh, you know the the movements start to mimic the movements that each athlete is making on the field. So you know, where we start off, we we have a, a six movement uh, program that really puts your head and neck through the ringer. But what we've seen is that, you know, an alignment, for example, is going to start to, you know, they'll they'll do those five or six moves and then they'll have a couple extra moves that are very specific to that movement. So, you know, alignment, for example, can get down into their starting stance and look left and look right and then get up, uh, you know, stand up all the way, move left, move right. And, you know, they're going through the same exact movements that they'd be making on the field. Uh, you know, wide receivers uh, tend to do a little bit more of the diagonal movement uh, looking over your shoulder, for example. Uh, you know, it's, it's similar uh, that you'd see with, with hockey players that, you know, th really the, the biggest impacts are going to come from the ones that you don't see coming. Uh, you know, when you're and that's that's also a benefit from learning how to tackle with your head up is, well, it keeps your eyes up. You can. Uh, you know, you can see impacts coming before they they actually come, and so just being able to to train your neck in that in that way, uh, you know, we've we've seen has really evolved, you know, sport to sport. Um, but you mentioned Enrique Cisneros, uh, and you know, we've actually we've had a, a few different uh, motorsports uh, teams and, and training facilities that have started using the Iron Neck um, over the last couple of years. Uh, Pitfit training out of Indianapolis is uh, is an example. They've got uh, James Hinchcliffe and, and Charlie Kimball, some of the IndyCar drivers. That uh, I mean, they do a ton of of work on on the neck. Uh, and you know, Lewis Hamilton has has uh, been quoted in a few articles earlier this year talking about you know how much he does for his neck. And you know, the the forces this year, especially even at, at the F1 level. Uh, you know, the G forces are greater, uh, the down forces are, are, are greater, um, you know, cause they've, they've been able to widen the tires a little bit. So, you know, the forces that these, these athletes, uh, from, from football to, you know, being in a, in a race car, um, you know, the, the, the neck takes a, a lot of, uh, a lot of beating. And so, uh, you know, 
the the best strength conditioning coaches are the ones that are really paying attention to uh you know kind of developing the strength uh not just by you know moving weight but by moving it in the way that you're going to be moving on the field or uh you know in the pit or you know in the in the seat yeah and when i think to motorsport racing like the, the one of the biggest pieces of safety equipment that they have is the hans device which literally like keeps your head from moving which is what your neck is like supposed to do so to me like that's it paints a perfect picture for the need to have a strong neck when you're trying to prevent uh, head injuries yeah and you know the the endurance factor is is a real big one in in uh driving i mean there you know some of these 24-hour races for example where you might have teams of three or four uh or just you know race on your own i mean you're you're subject to these forces over the course of you know a couple few hours and um you know, that, that adds up quite a bit. Uh, and it's really throughout the whole body. I mean, the, the forces that, uh, you know, feels like you're holding onto with the steering wheel, uh, are significant. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, motorsports drivers are, are pretty fit, uh, individuals. Yeah. Things that people don't think about when they see someone like driving in a car around a track, it actually is a, a pretty intensive workout for them. Can I add one more thing about evolution that I, that I, that I missed? A lot of motorsport drivers take an old football helmet, strap it on their head, and they have a spike that comes out of the top of the helmet, and they put weight plates on top of that. Then you'll see this dirty old mattress in their gyms. They lie on the mattress, hang their head over the edge, and they roll around. Now, it's effective, obviously. I mean, you know, they have all this weight on the top of an old football helmet, and their head's hanging off the edge of a mattress. But they roll around, and you know that's one of the ways that people have trained their necks. All part of the evolution. We, we we've come a long way. <laughs> yeah, we have. <laughs> it seems. <We> have. <clears throat> uh, so, what research exists on the iron neck? Uh, any like case studies or anything like that? Yeah. So, you know the the one study that that Mike really kind of first happened upon and, and developed uh, the iron neck based off of. Uh, was a 2014 study uh, published in the Journal of Primary Prevention, uh, and, and Dr. Cantu was was involved in that. Uh, Don Comstock was the, was the leading researcher, and this study had uh, 7,000 high school boys and girls soccer, basketball, and lacrosse athletes, and they they took baseline neck size and neck strength measurements, and uh, they tracked it over two and a half years. And what they came out of that study with was for every one pound increase in neck strength, odds of concussion decreased by 5%. And so, you know, what was really significant with this study was it, it wasn't the first study that said, hey, the neck is important. Uh, you know, there's, there's probably 15, 20 years of, of, of research that, you know, indicated that the neck could have some value. But this was the first study that really put uh, a, a hard number on that. And it confirms what, you, what you'd think just logically. You know, if you have a stronger neck, you know, larger neck, you can reduce these forces. And so you know, it doesn't mean that there weren't kids that had strong necks that, that didn't get concussed. But, you know, when you're looking at, at a population, you know, at, at scale, um, you know, the individuals who have weaker necks are, are just more likely to get concussed. And so, you know, that, that was a study that was uh, tracked from 2011, 2014. And, you know, there's, there's been several research studies you know over the last three years since that came out uh that's really you know kind of built off of that uh you know some of that has looked at uh these rotational forces 
And you know, really, when you're when you're looking at the problem of, of, of CTE, and uh, you know, I think this is a misconception that uh, you can you know you're getting CTE just just from playing you know at the in the NFL. You know, really, it's you've got 15, 20 years of of you know playing in these sports where uh, these impacts add up. And you know what CTE really is? It's it's the presence of of uh, tau uh, in the brain. It's a protein. And so you, when what this research has revealed is that uh, tau is released from axonal shearing, which is the result of these rotational forces on the brain. So you think of a, of a hit. You know, sure, there's a linear force that's going to knock you back, but um, you know, the the brain is actually twisting, and, and more so on the the brain stem. Um, and so, you know, there's other research that's been associated with uh, you know higher rates of loss of consciousness from this type of rotational force. And so, you know, that that research has really just started to kind of paint uh, more of a picture of what's actually happening inside the brain, and uh, you know. On the side of case studies, you know, we a lot of the the schools and, and high school teams that we we've been selling to often just just buy one or two just to test it out and see, you know, let's, they, they'll do their own, uh, you know, eight to 12 week program and, and kind of look at the strength. And so we've we've started getting some of these back and some of them have, have included, uh, you know, some of the female athletes. So we've had vo female volleyball players and in these research studies or not research studies, but uh, you know, these tracking periods, uh, you know, we've seen anywhere from half an inch to an inch and a half in neck size uh, increase. So the circumference of the neck. And what we, we saw in this, this first study that had uh, females was these girls were actually averaging almost an inch in neck circumference gain. They're actually outgaining the, the men. It was something that kind of surprised us in this. But, uh, you know, one aspect we kind of uh, talked about was, well, Part of this is really just getting female athletes to be doing neck strength as a proactive measure. You know, we mentioned that girls don't want to do it because it, you know, might make their necks look too big. Uh, but you know, what I, what we've seen from female athletes that we've talked to and coaches is uh, these are fierce competitors that want to be out there just like anyone else, and they're going to do uh, you know anything that they have to that that can increase their risk of, of you know staying on. Uh, you know, the field longer. And so, uh, you know, I think the feedback we got from this one coach was that, you know, it was just the girls actually after the first week, once they kind of got over the, you know, this thing is uncomfortable, um, you know, they were really able to kind of get into it and and kind of, you know, came in and, and went to work with it. So, you know, that we're looking to get it, uh, the Iron Neck plugged into some other additional studies uh, that are kind of taking more of a clinical approach to this. And, uh, you know, we've got some of those actually underway now. So, you know, those are things that we're going to be continuing to share, uh, you know, through our website and, and um, you know, over the next year or so as, as we continue to get these results. All right, great. We'll be on the lookout for that. So how accessible is the Iron Neck to athletes who are in high school and, you know, don't have the, the budgets of a professional or college uh, weight room? Well, I think one of the good things that we've done, you know, recently is we've worked very hard to uh, not only streamline the manufacturing process, but come up with new designs that are cheaper to make, less expensive to make. And because of that, we've been able to really drop the uh, price down. We also have a model that is designed for high school, which we call the varsity model. 
And the only difference between the Varsity and the Pro model is that the truck does not have an adjustable braking system. It's locked in at about two and a half pounds of rotary resistance. And, you know, that's good for high school, but it really lowers the price quite a bit. And, you know, high schools usually need to buy, uh, you know, a large quantity because they have a lot of kids, you know, working out. And when you buy, you know, more than 10, the price even drops more. So we, we've really worked hard to get the price down with, with the realization that younger kids' brains are more susceptible to damage. They are growing. They have not matured yet. And those brains are really susceptible. And that's really where we want to be. We want to be in you know, the junior highs and the high schools to protect those kids' brains. Yeah, it definitely is something that I feel like I could have benefited from uh, for people who know my head injury. So, um, <laughs> so and, and Mike, you had a son who benefited from having a strong neck, right? Didn't he have a, an accident or something? Yeah, he uh, he he was you know cliff diving in Palos Verdes in the into the Pacific Ocean, and you've got to swim about it's about a fifteen minute swim in the ocean to get to these cliffs. So he'd made that swim with his buddies, and they climb up the rocks over the water and get to this ledge, and they would jump off. But Eric, being, you know, crazy like teenage boys are, saw a ledge that was higher up. But the only way to get to that ledge was to climb up the rock face that wasn't over the water, that was over boulders. And, you know, so he took off up that rock face, and he reached out, you know, for a, a small outcropping of shale, grabbed onto it, put all his body weight on it, started to pull himself up, and the shale gave way, and he fell 18 feet. And during the fall, you know, he flipped around like a cat, so he landed on elbows and knees and forearms and hands, but, you know, he got, I don't know how many stitches, 30, 40 stitches in his hands, broke a bone in his wrist, broke some, some bones in one of his knee, chipped bones in his knee. But when he landed, his neck was so strong that he prevented it from snapping into the rocks. And, you know, if you, you know, measure the distance between your elbow to your head, it's not that far. And an 18-foot fall landing dead stop on a boulder, and he was, he was able to prevent his head from smashing into the rocks. The, the doctors just couldn't even believe it. And that's, of yeah, course, the first question my wife asked when we got the call. Did, you know, did he hit his head? And his friend said, no, he didn't hit his head. Um, you know, and after that, they had to swim, you know, 15 minutes back with blood gushing from his hand and his elbows through the Pacific Ocean in a kelp reef, you know, kelp, a kelp bed area where there's a lot of sharks. One of the surfers that was there used his leash to... uh as a tourniquet to try to stop the blood flow, but paramedics met him at the top of the hike uh, after they got out of the water and he's fine now, you know, no, no worse for, no worse for that wear and tear. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible falling that far and to not hit your head is like insane. That's why I wanted to kind of highlight that. Uh, but just as we kind of uh, wrap up the interview here, you know, where can people find you online and social media and, you know, get their own iron neck for their uh, weight room or team? Yeah, so uh, you can go right to our website, www.iron-neck.com. Uh, you can buy directly off there. Uh, you can check out us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at The Iron Neck. 
Uh, and so, you know, Instagram and Facebook are really where we're sharing, uh, you know, the videos and pictures of, of the athletes and pro athletes that are, are using it, um, you know, in their own training. Uh, and then, you know, we, we didn't really talk too much about the rehab aspect of it today, but, uh, you know, it, when we were oh, able we to get, do this redesign. We can redesign, get into that. Oh, <laughs> great. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, so that that's the other thing is uh, with this redesign, you know, the, the original Iron Neck that, that Mike developed was around 12, 13 pounds. It was just a giant block of metal. And, um, you know, Mike was able to get it into uh, a couple of different uh, spine and, and rehab facilities. But, you know, it, it wasn't something that was, was, you know, welcome with open arms, putting, you know, 12 pounds of metal on, on anyone's head you know, right after a, a surgery or, you know, throughout a rehab process. And so, you know, that was one of the big aspects in this redesign was, you know, how can we get this weight down so that, you know, people that are, are coming off of an injury or going through the rehab process uh, can, can be able to use the iron neck. And so uh, we've gotten it down to about three, three and a half pounds. And, you know, it's, it's really, uh, you know, kind of taken off in the rehab world. And we've been seeing a lot of really interesting uh, videos in how, uh, you know, physical therapists uh, and athletic trainers are, are starting to use it and, and, you know, incorporate it into some of their uh, vestibular and, and vision, uh, you know, training. So it's, um, you know, that that's kind of been the other the other arm is, uh, you know, beyond sports, uh, you know, there, there's a pretty significant problem that this, this, you know, the world is facing. And, you know, it's really been the product of the last you know, 30 or so years of sitting at a desk and looking at a computer screen. Uh, and, you know, you look over the last 10 years and now uh, from a pretty early age, uh, you know, kids are looking right down at their phone. And, you know, I think most people are probably guilty uh, of this. And, you know, this starts to change your physiology. Uh, you, you start to, uh, it, it starts to, uh, you know, deteriorate your posture. And when you start to kind of lose some of these aspects of your posture, your, your body adjusts. and uh, you start to get into kind of worse and worse positions. And, you know, that's that's really an aspect that, you know, some of the physical therapists that we've gone into and, and have started using the Iron Neck and kind of learning more about how they're using it, you know, sure, they've, they've got athletes, you know, kind of from high school to pro that, that, that they're using it on, but they're getting, and they'll, they'll have a lot of, uh, you know, elderly individuals that, uh, you know, they're just starting to to lose strength in their neck. But, They've they've told us that a lot more of the people that they're seeing are coming in as a result of of tech neck or, or text neck, which you know to be honest, when someone first mentioned text neck to me, I didn't believe it was a real thing. I, I had to Google it to realize you know this is actually something that you know I'm personally <laughs> guilty of looking down at my phone. But uh, you know when you're looking at just just people in general, um, you know all these individuals that are having these problems. Uh, they're not really doing any neck strengthening. You're not walking into an LA fitness and seeing people kind of, you know, working their neck. And so it's not until people really have a problem with their neck, whether it's, it's chronic or, you know, an acute injury that outside of sports that you're really starting to uh, do neck strength. So, you know, rehab, you know, with physical therapists, chiropractors, trainers, um, you know, us being able to get the weight of this thing down has, enabled us to kind of put it in in these these professionals hands and you know we're learning a ton uh, from them as well so um that was i think the end of an answer of where you can find us online 
uh, we're sharing all these videos <laughs> on on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, it, it's just a cool way to kind of see you know how these different people are using it, and um, you know we're, that's where we're learning a lot of it uh, you know as well. So. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the great things about the, uh, you know, the social media is that, you know, it's out there in all these people's hands and they're great trainers and they're great strength coaches and they figure out new ways to use it and they video it, tape it, and they put it online and, you know, it's great. And we've gotten some really good new protocols for our workout routines, you know, just by having it out there and letting people play with it and figure out new ways to use it. Yeah, I like that. And I just wanted to add that my girlfriend and I give our give my girlfriend's sister a hard time because she is someone who looks like she has text neck and she didn't really know what it was either. She's like, I have this bump on the back of my neck. And we were like, oh, that's text neck because you're looking down all the time. So I'm just saying like it's and I also worked in a physical therapy facility for a few years and I'm well aware of the effects that sitting at a desk and constantly looking down at your phone, you know, has on people. So it, it isn't just for the athletes. Um, but speaking of uh, protocols, if you guys still have some time, you know, how much time do people need to be or athletes and non-athletes need to be spending on the iron neck to strengthen their neck? Like, is it, you know, what, what, what do these protocols kind of look like? Three sets of 10 of this or, or what? Well, we've got six fundamental exercises and to get through those six fundamental exercises and then go through them a second time adding a little bit of weight and a little more, you know, rotary resistance for that second set takes about six minutes. If you just go straight to town and just do it. And if you do that three times a week, you're going to see a great improvement in your neck strength, flexibility, range of motion. Um, Now, if I was a player, an athlete that relied on my body to make a living, I would spend more time than that, you know, working out my neck. I would probably do it four times a week or every other day, and I would probably end up doing it for about 12 minutes. I use it at 24-hour fitness when I I take it down there with me when I work out, and I will be on the iron neck for right around 12 minutes. And that's doing, you know, three different sets, upping the weight on the weight stack. I, I use it on an adjustable cable machine. And then, you know, the first set, no rotary resistance. Second set with, um, you know, probably 10 pounds of rotary resistance. And then I'll up it on my third set. I'll get up to 60 pounds on the weight stack. And I'll put on probably around 20 pounds of rotary resistance. And, you know, on that at that level, you do six reps. And you, you can barely, you know, you can barely do it. But your neck gets, you know, really strong. But it just depends on, you know, what you're doing, what sport you're in, and, you know, how important it is to you. The thing, the thing that I love about physical therapists is that I've met so many therapists that understand, in reality, how tough and how strong the neck is. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've met so many strength coaches that were like, oh, no, that's the neck. We, we have to be very careful of the neck. It's fragile. Well, it's not fragile. The neck is not fragile, and it should not be fragile. I can't think of a more important part of the human body to build muscle mass to to help protect. I mean, just just as armor to protect the spinal column, the, the neck spinal area, I mean, it's important just to, to build that muscle mass, that armor up to protect it. 
But, you know, the neck is something that can be very strong, very functional, and really help out in, in sports. Yeah, you know, I'll just add one thing to that is, um, you know, we one of the things we've heard from a lot of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, you know, athletes and MMA fighters that are using it is they're actually using it much more as well as a as a warm-up uh, device. So, you know, before they're going to hit the mats and, and, and roll around for, you know, a couple hours, they're just going to go for, you know, two, three minutes of just getting the blood pumping through through the neck muscles. And you know, we, we've had some uh, some of the high school teams down here in Texas uh, that have been using the Iron Neck will actually start using it before practice and before games as well. And, you know, when you look on a field, really any sport, I mean, you see athletes, uh, you know, kind of jogging around, stretching, you know, getting blood pumping through these muscles. But when it comes to the neck, it, all you'll really ever see is, is maybe, you know, some some kind of back, forth, side to side stretching. So to actually be able to kind of get blood pumping through these muscles and get ready for for battle, um, you know, that that's where there's there's really a ton of value. And um, yeah, you know, we're, we're seeing that in a lot of different sports. Yeah, I think that's interesting with like a muscle activation, you know, aspect to it as like a warm up because you're like prepping or priming your neck muscles for uh, the task at hand. And if that's a football game, then that's, you know, something that obviously you're going to need. So, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, we uh, we, we have our headquarters here in Austin, Texas. And, uh, you know, the, the three of us that are here, we're doing Iron Neck every morning, <laughs> you know, just coming in and doing a couple of minutes and just kind of getting the neck uh, ready, ready for the day. Um, I mean, we've just all personally, we've, we've seen a lot of, uh, of improvements in our, our posture and our neck pain as well. Yeah, I can imagine when I was, when I was, you know, checking you guys out, I was sitting at my desk at work. This is my full-time job. And, uh, I was like, I really could use one of these while I'm sitting here. Cause I constantly feel like my back is all out of whack. Like just cause I'm constantly sitting. I have like a elastic band that I use to do some like external rotation some scapular work like just like in between you know every hour on the hour during the day to like keep me going but i was like this would be a good tool to add there one of the good things about the iron neck is since you you're attached to the top of the spinal column the top top of this kinetic chain and all the pull is horizontal from there your whole kinetic chain the whole spinal column all the way down and your base your legs and your feet have to work they have to fight that horizontal pull. And if you have low back or back issues, most of the time, the iron neck will straighten you out. And those, those problems will go away because you strengthen your core so well. It's just one of the side benefits of it that we've found that people really notice. Yeah, I believe it. Robert, do you have something to add there? Uh, well, you know, I was thinking, Mike said that, you know, a little bit earlier when uh, at, when he first went to the conference in 2012 that, you know, every, he was getting weird looks from, from everybody. I, I don't think that's something that's changed. I think he, uh, when he brings it into the 24-hour fitness, he's still getting, getting these weird looks from everybody. <laughs> I do, but you know what? I also get a line of guys that want to try it out. And, you know, we, we do have some pretty good little impromptu workouts at 24-Hour Fitness. And there are a couple guys now that, that you know, know what times I come in there on Saturday and Sundays. And they're there so they can get their Iron Neck workout in at least once a week. 
That's pretty cool because I was going to ask you that. <laughs> like, what was the response at 24-hour fitness? So, um, well, you know, I I, um, I have an unusual 24-hour fitness because I live in San Clemente in California, and it's right next to Camp Pendleton. So I have a lot of Marines that are in there, especially on the weekends. And so these okay. guys, you know, their their bodies are, are everything to them because this is what gets them through some really harrowing and tough situations. And when they found out about the Iron Neck and how we were training and what it was doing, they want to strengthen their necks. So, you know, maybe not a normal 24-hour fitness, I'd have that reaction, but definitely there I have that reaction. Yeah, understandably so, why they would want to try that out. Uh, one last question for both of you guys that I ask all my guests. I'm trying to redefine what toughness is because I feel like that had a lot to do with uh, the severity of my head injury, and I feel like athletes push themselves sometimes too far. So what would you define toughness as, and how has that kind of evolved over time for you? Well, I define toughness in two words, and that is Navy SEAL. And let me, let me explain that, because it's not just about physical toughness. It's also about mental toughness, but it's also about, you know, being prepared. I'm going back to the old Boy Scout, you know, motto. And I look at Navy SEALs as, you know, uber prepared mentally and physically to deal with anything that comes their way. And we are fortunate to have it at Navy SEAL training down in, in Coronado. And so these SEALs are using the iron net. But when I was down there installing it and I was watching their workouts and talking to the master chiefs that, that love the iron neck and use it all the time, um, that's toughness. They're smart, they're strategic, they're physically tough, they're prepared, they know how to handle situations. Love it. What about you, Robert? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just kind of you know echo on that, that, uh, you know, when I think of toughness, it, it's about how you respond to challenges. Because I don't think there's like one you know, standard set of toughness. Uh, you know, it's 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 going to be very different for for everyone. And so, you know, for me, it's it's about how you respond to those challenges that really defines kind of how tough you are. Okay, cool. Uh, and I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and to enlighten us about the importance of neck strength and uh, you know, preventing concussions and even in general population today and preventing a lot of postural uh, issues that people face. I think it's a really cool stuff that you're doing, and I admire the passion and the work that you guys put behind it. Um, so, thank you. Well, Kevin, thanks appreciate for having it. us on. You know, really, really appreciate your interest and in, in getting the word out. Of course.